Okay, it's good to be here at the beginning of the uh, ministry series here on the book of Genesis. Uh, We're really glad all of you could join us. And uh, we hope this semester that as we go through the book of Genesis, we get a real uh, bird's eye view of what God's eternal purpose is. Um, Genesis is uh, probably one of the most studied books in the whole Bible. And uh, especially uh, chapters 1 and 2. Uh, because they have everything to do with the beginning. And uh, in the book of Genesis, um, what we have here is a book of seeds. And these seeds uh, are the seeds of all the great truths found in the Bible. And in the book of Genesis, all these seeds are found, and as you study them, you can trace them and their development through the Bible until their consummation in the book of Revelation. So uh, we like to begin uh, this ministry series with more of an overview uh, of the book of Genesis and in, in God's purpose and his procedure. And uh, if you get into the book of Genesis, especially chapter 1, uh, you know, Genesis chapter 1 is not a scientific explanation of creation. Uh, but rather, it is a, uh, it's a book that points us to the experience of God as our life. Okay? And there is a definite emphasis here, which I hope we can see in these few short minutes that we have remaining here. And they are few. Um, so we're going to have to go through this. Uh, but I think we'll still be able to really see something as we go through this uh, and get an overview of God's purpose and procedure in these two chapters. Okay? So let's start with just reading here the Roman number one all together. Ready? Go. God's desire. Okay, so in Genesis 1.26, how about brothers, you read 1.26 all together, strongly, ready, go. And God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of heaven, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Okay, so quickly here, let us, that us is the Trinity. God said, let us. He didn't say, let me. He said, let us make man in our, what's our? Plural. Our image. Quite interesting. Why is it plural? Again, this is the Trinity, the triune God, the triunity of Father, Son, and Spirit here. And he is making man in whose image? His image. God has an image. And he's making man in his image. And so I love this because uh, you see here two key words in this verse, and you should underline them. Image and dominion. Image and dominion. Say those two words. Image and dominion. If you pick up these two words, you can pick up what God's eternal purpose is in these two words. You know, when you come to the university, you have to go pick up your ID. 
And without your ID here at university, at the University of Texas, you just about can't do anything, right? Because you are not a citizen of the kingdom here. But if you have your ID, you can virtually do everything, right? This gets you into your dorm rooms. You go into the library. You go into Gregory Gym with your ID. Well, in God's eternal purpose, this is the real ID. Image and dominion. I hope you never forget. Your real ID is not that little piece of plastic you have in your back pocket, but it is you are made in God's image and you are given God's dominion on this earth. Okay? ID. Say that. ID. One more time. Image and dominion. Say it. Okay, so we're made in the image of God just as a glove, which I brought. is made in the image of a... Right? So, you know, this glove was created with one particular purpose. And it looks very much like this. But what's the difference? One, one is in the image, and one has the reality. Right? Does this glove have any power in itself? Is there any power in the glove itself to express what's in the hand? So, because man was made in the image of God, and he was given God's dominion, uh, eventually he placed man in front of the tree of life. Okay? And uh, the tree of life... Let's go ahead and read this quickly here. I want you to get this. This is a key point. Genesis 2, 8 and 9. Let's all read these two verses together. Ready? Go. tree of life and then I asked the question where was it where was the tree of life where in the garden do you think there was some emphasis there some focus there some direction there about this tree there were a lot of trees but this tree was somewhere particular where say it in the middle in the middle. It was right in the very middle of the garden so that there was the obviousness of the importance of that tree. And eventually God commanded man, eat that tree. You need to eat that tree. So to eat that tree, it says here in this verse, it's good for food. So you have to eat that tree. If you eat that tree, that means you take in that life. So the tree of life, as we eat the tree of life, we take in that life. And the tree of life here in Genesis signifies Christ, who is the real tree of life. In John 15, he said, I am the vine. I am the vine tree. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the life. So Christ is the tree of life. So man was made 
in the image of God, just like this glove was made in the image of a hand. And then God put man in a garden, but not just walking around aimlessly with all kinds of plants and flowers, but there was a big middle. And there was a tree right in the middle. And then God even said, eat, eat that tree. So he is giving us a picture here to emphasize that that tree is good to eat. And when that tree is eaten, that means life comes inside. And just like that life could come inside of man... The hand, when it comes inside the glove, it can begin to express everything. The the glove, which was made in the image of the hand, now it has power. Whatever, Whatever the head says, then the glove expresses. Because there now is life. In this glove. If I put other things in the glove, no way for the glove to fulfill its purpose. As a matter of fact, you might even call it, if you fill this with sand or something else, you would say it's not fulfilling its purpose. Right? But as soon as the hand gets in the glove, then the glove fulfills its purpose. And when man is filled with God himself as life, you know what? Man can then begin to fulfill God's purpose. Okay? So, key, key element there. Um, so, image and dominion. Uh, man. Let's read Roman 2 all together. Ready? Go. Man. So, man is put in front of this tree, and he eats this tree, and eventually this life is inside of man. But not just as a marble rolling around in a glass jar, but the life comes inside of man in a very particular way. And now, we're going to rush on to see this procedure. There's a procedure that God uses to fulfill his purpose, uh, and we have it in four points underneath this procedure. I want us to read these four points of procedure. Letter A, B, C, D. Let's read these all together. A, go. B. C. And D. Okay, so the whole book of Genesis is a book of life. And I could spend a long time talking about that, but I just want us to pick up this main point. We were created in the image of God in a very particular way. We were created to receive the life of God as represented by the tree of life. And now we can see there is a procedure by which God carries out his purpose in these next four points. So firstly, letter A, we have the tree of life. You know, we have to realize that God carries out his purpose mainly by life. 
So we have, when we were born, we were born of the human life, the physical life. Uh, born of your parents, you all have a birthday, and it, you know you probably still celebrate it to this day. But that was just your physical human life. But at one point in our spiritual experience, we should have had the experience of receiving the divine life. A simple prayer, a simple opening, a simple turning our heart to the Lord. And at that point, we receive the divine life. And after that receiving of the divine life, we have to realize life begins to operate in us. Life begins to work in us. And this life is the element God uses to fulfill his purpose. Okay? So, I just quickly here, let's look at these two verses in John 1, 4, and 5. And John 10, 10. Let's read these uh, together. 1, 4, and 5. Go. In him... Okay, so this him, of course, is Christ. So you could say, in Christ was life, okay? And then 10.10, let's read this together. Go. So Christ's coming was particularly to do what? It says, I have come that they what? Underline, they may have life. So Christ's coming was so that we would have life. And this word life here in the Greek is zoe. Uh, This abundant life is not a mansion and a yacht and a lot of outward things. But actually this word zoe is the uncreated eternal life of God. So Christ's coming was that we might have life. We want our glove to be filled up with the divine hand. We want our vessel, which was created in the image of God, to be filled up with the life of God. Okay? Okay. Um, so we have the tree of life in the center of the, of the garden. But then also, out of this garden flowed a river. And I didn't put the verse, but it's Genesis 2.10. And this river here is also very significant because this river signifies the flow of life. Or you could say the fellowship of life. And uh, it's very important that we get to see that in Genesis, it begins with a tree and a river. And Revelation ends with a tree and a river. It's really amazing because the Bible... Uh, you might say, has these bookends that reflect one another. So if you look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there are a tree and there's a river. There's a throne and there's a street. And that street comes all the way down the mountain. And on this side and on that side of the river was growing the tree of life. And so there's a river and there's a tree as the consummation in the book of Revelation that still supply the entire city with life. Just as in the very beginning here in Genesis 1 and 2, the whole Bible begins with a tree and a river. And it's a tree of life and a river supplying life. Okay? So, a couple of quick verses here. John 4, 14. Let's read this verse all together. Go. But whoever... Shall I know he search forever? But the water that I will give him will 
You know, as soon as you receive the divine life, you know what? A fountain gets installed in our being. We receive a fountain. And you know what? That fountain actually is a gushing up fountain. Uh, It's really wonderful. So the river is in us. It's flowing. And I enjoyed the song, right? We just finished singing. I've got a river of life flowing within me. That's a reality. It's not a cliche. We really have the river of water of life flowing in us. And so as we enjoy Christ as life in us, this river is flowing. And this flow is very important because many things happen as a result of the flow of this river. Okay, So let's uh, move on quickly to letter C here. Uh, let's read this all together. Ready? Go. Three. So in this river, there in Genesis, if you look at it, there are three materials. Uh, And in the flow of this river, uh, you touch these three things, gold, delium, and onyx stone, which again are mirrored, are reflected in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, though, it is gold, what? Pearl and precious stones. Okay? So gold here signifies the divine nature of the Father. Uh, And when we enjoy the flow of this life, the Father's divine nature is imparted into us and there's a divine way before us in which we can walk. So we could spend a whole time talking about this one thing, but it's marvelous that we receive uh, gold, delium, and onyx in this river because these elements are imparted into us as we enjoy the river of water of life, okay? Uh, so let's read Second Peter 1.4 right there together. Ready? Go. Through which... Okay, so underline, you might become partakers of the divine nature. This divine nature actually signifies the nature of God himself. And the very next verse shows us how God and gold are united together. Let's read Job 22:25. Go. Then the Almighty So the Almighty himself He himself is gold, but not just a physical gold, but the divine spiritual gold that's imparted into us. You know, amazingly, one of the traits of gold uh, in the physical realm is it's not easily corruptible. It stays pure. And so the divine nature of the Father, it has an enduring, pure quality to it. And as we enjoy the river of water of life, something intrinsically as a metabolic process is happening by which we receive another life and another nature as we enjoy the flow of the river of water of life. 
So uh, we're just hitting high points all the way through here, Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, I know it's quick, but I wanted you to catch these kind of mountain peak points here, okay? So we're enjoying the river, and in the river is the gold. Secondly is the delium, and let's see what the delium is. Number two, let's read it. Go. Delium, the sun. And delium uh, was a precious stone that came from the resin of a tree that had been cut. And so just as Christ the Son was pierced and cut on the cross, so this stone represents Christ in his life-releasing death and his life-dispensing resurrection. And John 19.34 here in the New Testament, let's read this, what happened to Christ here. Go. But one of the soldiers So when Christ was pierced, out of his side flowed blood and water. And these two elements, blood and water, are so precious because they produce the church. So on the one hand, the blood, it cleanses us from every sin. But on the other hand, the, the, the water actually gives life to us. So we get cleansed and we get filled with life by that element which flowed out of Christ's side. Okay? Then in 1 Peter 1 3, let's read this. Go. Blessed be. So underlined there has regenerated us. That's the working of that life that got released out of Christ's sight. He has regenerated us with his life. Okay, finally, the third stone here, which is a precious stone, is onyx. And this is the spirit with his transforming work. And these elements, gold, delium, and onyx stone, are the stones here in Genesis chapter 2 that are found in the river that are spiritually, uh, are what are imparted into us as we enjoy the river of water of life. And this is very particular because ultimately uh, these stones produce a building. And this building is what God's purpose is all about. Uh, In the beginning there in Genesis, in the riverbed, there's just these stones laying there. But finally, in the New Jerusalem, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, what do we see with these stones? They're built up into a city and even a bride. It's a very mysterious picture in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 because it is a city bride. Very unusual. Brothers, how many of you want to marry a city? Nobody, right? Right? We all want to marry a beautiful bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, right? But with Christ here, there's a marvelous picture from Genesis 1 and 2 mirrored in Revelation 21 and 22 in which these stones in our spiritual experience produce a building and I would even say a builded up bride, okay? So let's go ahead quickly here with letter D. Let's read D altogether together go god so all 
also in this section, uh, and again, you have to understand, all of these are seeds in the divine record here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that develop all the way through the Bible and then consummate in the book of Revelation. Uh, But this is one of the biggest signs here, one of the biggest parts of the procedure here. And let's read through these points here. Number one, go. God. Okay, so firstly, uh, in order for this to happen in the New Testament, the spiritual reality of this picture here in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2, God became a man. Uh, And this man here uh, was seen in type with Adam. So let's read Romans 5.14 together right there. Ready? Go. But death reigned... So you catch that last phrase there, who was a type of him who was to come. Who's that him? That's Christ. So Adam was a type or a picture of Christ who was to come. So everything that happened to Adam becomes a picture of the experience of Christ. Okay, so first of all, number two, let's read number two together. Ready, go. Christ. So Christ, he died on the cross and was there for three days and three nights. And Adam was put in a deep sleep. And while Adam was in a deep sleep, what did God do? He took a rib out of Adam's side. This is the account here in Genesis chapter 2. And the Hebrew word there says, and he built a woman. That's the Hebrew word. He built a woman. Genesis 2.22 there. That word is actually built. Very significant. Because Christ in Matthew 16.18 said, I will build my church. So just as Eve was produced out of the side of Adam, the church is produced out of the side of Christ. Okay? So, uh, let's read Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. These, how about sisters read these verses all together? Ready? Go. Husbands. Okay, let's read number three all together. Go. Christ's side was pierced. Adam's side was open. We've talked about this. Let's read number four. Christ is building his church. Eve was built out of Adam's rib. So Eve um, was produced out of Adam's rib. And do you know what the name Eve means? Living. Eve means living. So whatever comes out of Christ is living. It's awesome. And the church in its reality is not an organization, but it's something filled with life and it's so living because it's full of the divine life. Okay? 
So uh, number four here, Eve was built out of Adam's rib here. And, and I'm, I mentioned this first to you already, but let's read Genesis 2.22 all together there on the back side of the page. Ready? Go. And Jehovah God... So God today is doing a building work. And he's doing this building work by life, in life, and with life. Our God is building with life. So this building, it's an organic building. Actually, Peter says later, living stones. What an oxymoron. A stone that's living? You know, this is the Bible because it indicates that what is being produced here is something for God's building. That's why it's a stone, but it's living. It's full of the life of God. So it has something organic as the source and the base of the whole thing. So the church today is built out of living stones, which are you and you and me. Actually, all the believers in Christ who have received him as, as life are living stones in God's building. Okay? Uh, then number five, let's read this together. Ready? Go. Christ. So what Christ wants is a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle, that matches him, that complements him perfectly. And, you know, to have that matching bride is not a small thing. And the time that it takes is not a small amount of time. And we are now uh, over 2,000 years into the age of grace, and the church is still not built. How do we know that? Because our bridegroom, our lover, our husband, our savior has not yet come to consummate the marriage with the bride. So the church is being built up and it's being built up in the life of Christ. And that's the process under which we are going today. So this picture in Genesis is uh, it's astounding and it's marvelous. And we have to be impressed that eventually it consummates with a builded up church, a perfect bride that matches Christ, his complement perfectly. Um, you may look at yourself and say, how in the world can that ever happen? But, you know, the Bible, it tells us here. We just read Ephesians 5.25, and it lets us know that he will present the church to himself glorious, without spot, without wrinkle, without any such thing. And there is going to be a perfect complementary match between Christ and his bride. And the bride is us. Even we have to say, Lord Jesus, make me part of your bride. 
uh, because the Lord today is building up uh, this marvelous counterpart. And so the procedure is shown to us here in the very beginning in seed form in Genesis chapter 2. Okay, and so this consummates, we see the reflective side of this in Revelation chapter 21. So let's read these three verses. How about two brothers, nine sisters, and all together on ten. Okay, brothers, ready? Go. And I saw... Okay, sisters, nine. Together, and he carried. Okay, so again, you see here, this is a city and it's a bride, but it's the ultimate picture of the consummation of what God is doing in his purpose with his people to fill them with life, to build them together and to build them up as living stones to produce this consummate picture here in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, which is the bride of Christ. He he says here, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So we have to be impressed beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 and consummating in Revelation 21 and 22 are these bookends, these uh, mirror reflecting one another. Genesis in seed form, then all the way from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 is the long process by which God accomplishes that purpose. And then finally the consummation of the whole process is in these last two chapters, the new Jerusalem. Say that. The new Jerusalem. Uh, There's a lot of... Uh, speculation about what the new Jerusalem is. But when you see it in this context, it matches what is in Genesis 1 and 2. In Revelation 21 and 22, there's a tree, there's a river, and there's also a woman that consummates as the bride of Christ. And there's a final uh, consummate picture there where the bride uh, matches the husband as a complement perfectly. And that's the process which we are in today. As we enjoy this life, the tree of life and the river of water of life, morning by morning we rise up and we touch Christ as the tree of life. And this morning I was spending some time with the Lord and I just said, Lord, I need you as my life today. Fill me with life. Fill me with your life, Lord. I was just spending a few minutes with him. And you know what? I enjoyed touching the tree of life, which became a river. And the river is flowing. And as we're enjoying the tree, the tree in us becomes a river flowing. And as we enjoy this flow, all the elements of these stones are imparted into us, are infused into us. And then we begin to be built up. God's desire is not just that we remain as individual Christians, but that we become built up with others in a very definite and particular way so that God can produce his building and his bride. Okay? So lastly, let's read number six together and we'll finish up here. Ready? Go. Go. 
Yeah, Revelation 21 and 22. So, uh, we have to be impressed that these two chapters in Genesis uh, are mainly a record of life. And they're a seedbed here, okay? They're the seeds that we can see in a very particular way that will begin to grow and develop chapter by chapter, book by book, and finally consummate in a final picture of a building and a bride in the last two chapters of the Bible. So it's really marvelous that we could not only see this, but realize this shows us our experience. Uh, so, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we could spend a lot of time, and we will this semester, getting into many of the details. And we're going to get into Genesis, I would say, more in a way of uh, overview and uh, you might say some grand arching themes that put the whole Bible together this semester. So, I think we'll enjoy this very much. So, uh, thank the Lord. He has brought us into a book of life. And we can be impressed with these seeds and begin to touch them so that we can grow in life, be built together, be built up, and become the final complement of Christ, His bride.